0: Today's video is brought to you by Blinkist. In Mesopotamian mythology, Enki, the brother of the more popular deity Enlil, would also come to be known for many of his own powers and exploits. In some communities he was considered a wise god, perhaps even a god of wisdom, which also extends to ideas that he was a wily deity, one who was full of tricks, and prone to mischief. The Sumerians also associated Enki with aspects of magic, where he would be seen as a master of crafts, divinations, health, fertility, and even rituals such as exorcisms. But perhaps his most esteemed trait was his mastery over water, a god of the water itself, if you will, and the wildlife which inhabited it. As far as depictions went, Enki was often thought of as a man with a beard and a horned cap, much like many of the male gods from the pantheon. Water could be seen flowing from his shoulders, suggesting that the waters themselves came from him, as well as showcasing him as an advocate of humanity by bringing them the substance necessary for their survival, Often these streams that are seen cascading around his shoulders are considered to be the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which in some myths were considered to be his semen. Amongst these graphic images, he is also commonly seen surrounded by fish, which can be seen as representations of life, aquatic wildlife or sustenance to feed the humans. Often through various stories, we see Enki's compassion towards humankind far more than that of his brother, who opts to destroy them. In some tellings, it is Enki who saves humanity by preserving the most righteous and delivering them safely from the reckonings of his brother. In some ways, Enki could have been seen as a provider god, whereby he nurtured them and fed them with both vital necessities and knowledge. Unfortunately, the words of Enki are long gone for us now, but knowledge can still be unlocked by us in some very easy and accessible ways. Some might say, in the blink of an eye. This is why I'm excited to talk about Blinkist. Blinkist is an app for people who might really want to learn more, but just don't have the free time to get around to it. Blinkist is an app that takes thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them into concise 15 minute audio summaries, where you are fed all of the main points of a desired topic. Personally, I'm interested in using Blinkist for the book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. Whilst the book takes a look at the history and future of our species It also offers us a great insight into the nature of humankind, and can even tie into the greater understanding of some of the myths that we talk about on this channel. It also gives us an insight into these people, like the Mesopotamians, and gives us some context as to the nature of early man. Blinkist is a great learning resource that's easily accessible, whether you're on your way to work, at the gym, or even just before bed. It's a great way to speed through books whilst absorbing all the critical information just by listening. It's also a great way to find new books that you might not have known about, or can even help broaden your reading horizons. If you're interested in Blinkist, then the first 100 people to click on the link in the description or who go to www.blinkist.com slash history will receive a 7-day free trial, and should you choose to get a membership, it will be 25% off. And now back to Enki. Amongst his father Anu, who controlled the sky, and his brother Enlil, who controlled the air, Enki would come to complete the Trinity through his control over the water. Together, this triad dominated the heavenly and earthly realm with Enlil taking hold of the Earth, and Enki reserving the sea. All three deities could be identified by the Sumerians, by having assigned them to the culmination of stars in the sky, with Enlil dominating the southern sky, Anu dominating the equatorial sky, and Enki dominating the northern sky. Yet whilst Enlil's orbit was continuous around the celestial pole, Anu's and Enki's stars interweave at various points in the year, suggesting that Enlil stood independently from his father and brother, and that he was more important than them. It is believed that despite the tremendous power of Anu and Enki, they could not impress upon Enlil, who would ascend to the head of the Pantheon. Amongst the name Enki, he would also go by Ea in Assyrian and Babylonian mythology, which would lead to him being associated with a southern band of constellations called the Stars of Ea. But the meaning of the name is uncertain, with some merely theorising that he shared a similar title to that of his brother as the Lord of the Earth, which would make some sense given that the Earth is about 70% water, that which he governed over. We know that in Sumerian the word En meant Lord and the term Ki meant Earth, thus suggesting the title Lord Earth, or Lord of the Earth. But there is also an argument that Ki in this instance means something else, though there has not been a reliable alternative put forward. The origin of the name is even up for some debate, with some speculating that Enki was a Hurrian creation, or that he had Semitic origins. Meanwhile, the Sumerian form of Ea meant the house of water, which would make a lot of sense, considering Ea's role as the god of water. Furthermore, it can be said that Ea was the place where water lived, thus making him the house, or that he lived amongst the waters, and or embodied them. Another suggestion is that this term Ea was actually the name of the shrine that was dedicated to Enki in Eridu, the patron city of the god and one of the earliest cities in southern Mesopotamia. We also know of the term Enkig, which was thought to mean Lord of the Mound or a high rise of land perhaps even a precipice, overlooking the water. His main temple of worship in Eridu was known as the Eabzu Temple, or simply Abzu Temple, meaning House of the Subterranean Waters. The temple, which was surrounded by the Euphratian marshland, was perhaps the first, if not one of the first temples to have been built in the Mesopotamian region. Eridu was significant in terms of belief at the time, because it was thought of as the first city that was created by the gods, where it would serve as the site of which law and order was first decided upon. It is understood that the city was home to many shrines in honour of Enki, that were built over a period of a thousand years, and that his association with the Abzu temple, and the underground waters that could be found there remained consistent. Much like with Enlil, it is believed that worship took place before statues of Enki, and that these were tended to and maintained as if they were the real manifestation of the god himself. Yet in some interpretations, it seems apparent that the temple had not been built originally to worship Enki, but instead was a temple for the primordial deity also known as Apsu, he who was responsible for freshwater, lakes, springs, rivers and wells in Sumerian and Akkadian mythology. But over time, it would also appear that Enki was promoted to assume these responsibilities for himself. In the Babylonian creation myth, known as Enuma Elish, Abzu is actually Enki's father, but is seen to have let himself go as he becomes weary and inept at his job. He becomes irate at the younger gods on the account of having his sleep disturbed, that which is a reoccurring motif in many of these tales, and so he sets out to destroy the younger generation. But Enki, who is seen in this story as a leader of his fellow gods places a spell on Abzu which casts him into a deep slumber. There he is stored underground and Enki assumes his position, which some have said is a sign of his trickery. Unlike other gods in the pantheon, Enki does not appear to usurp through violence, but instead casts magic and employs schemes in order to ascend up the chain of command. Another version of this event sees Abzu referred to as the Abyss of the Water, and that he was situated beneath the earth, as the subterranean water, a place of the dead, otherwise coined as Aralu. Here Enki does not scheme to obtain this position, but is designated it, thus becoming the Lord of that which is below. Here Enki becomes more of an antithesis of his father, who was the lord of that which is above, and comes to adopt an additional role as an underworld god. This links in with one idea that Enki had control over demons and or giants, those which he is sometimes seen to be using to complete various errands. One might reinforce this idea by looking at his consort Ninursag who is sometimes dubbed as the lady of that which is below, thus not only associating Enki with this role through marriage, but also suggesting that the two held this responsibility together, and below is where they stored such creatures as demons and giants. Yet another account of Enki inheriting or seizing control of the waters was through the watery primeval being, Namu a mother goddess thought to have given birth to the great gods, including Enki himself. Whilst no tales explicitly state Enki taking control of the waters from his mother, there do exist stories of Enki taking it upon himself to fill up barren valleys and riverbeds with water, or that he gave life to these areas by permeating the ground with his seed, thus creating rivers and streams. Worship of Enki appeared to have been a profound thing, particularly amongst his cult, at Eridu, where his shrine was situated. Based on excavations, it is also believed that large feasts were held at the entrance, notably feasts filled with fish, or carps to be specific. The exact rituals that may have taken place are simply not known to us, though some have speculated that the element of water most likely had some significance, possibly used in cleansing rituals. The temple in Eridu was also frequently associated with Ninursag, Enki's wife, and it might be said that the marrying of the two deities resulted in the temple becoming their home. Ninursag has also gone by other names, including Ninmar, Dalmaguna or Damkina. With Enki, she bore him many children, including Asaluhi, the god of magical knowledge, Enbilulu, the god of canals, the mortal and wise sage Adapa, and also the eventual king of all gods, Marduk. There are also tales where Ninasa gives birth to Abu, the god of plants, Nintala, god of precious metals, Ninsat goddess of healing, Ninkasi, goddess of beer, Nanshe, goddess of justice, Asimua, another goddess of healing, Mshark, a god of fertility, and Ninti, a goddess of life. But perhaps the most famous of Enki's children in some stories is his daughter Inanna, the goddess of war, sexuality, passion and love. Enki's direct influence amongst the political climate of the region is not known to us either, but it is possible that belief in him did dictate how affairs were carried out. This can be seen in how Eridu would maintain his status as a sacred deity, despite the eventual decimation of the Pantheon and its cults by neighbouring territories. It is also believed that under the name Ea, Enki's popularity seeped into the regions and kingdoms of ancient Syria, where he became equated to the likes of El in Ugarit or Yar at Elba, both being a name for a monotheistic deity in these regions. As you might imagine, there are many appearances of Enki in the mythologies spanning across Mesopotamia, with varying Babylonian and Assyrian accounts that often portray a polarised image of the deity. For starters, in the Enuma Elish, that is, the Babylonian creation myth, Enki was the oldest son of Apsu and Tiamat, the primordial beings. In the beginning, we understand the universe to be an abstract sort of place, with nothing but the swirlings of chaos. So when Apsu and Tiamat created the younger gods, The younger gods had nothing to do. They quickly grew bored with their surroundings and so soon, they were playing amongst themselves in an effort to entertain each other. But because of the noise they made, Apsu found he couldn't sleep. Having been disturbed at one time too many, he did what all reasonable parents would do and decided to kill his children. But Tiamat learned of his plan, And not wishing for her children to be slain, alerted Enki of what his father intended. So Enki took it upon himself to protect his siblings, by casting a spell to put his father to sleep. Once Apsu had fallen asleep, Enki killed him. Now Tiamat had not foreseen this happening, and with the death of her husband, she disowned her children. So angry over what Enki had done, she raised an army of demons that were championed by her consort Kingu. With the might of the demon army sometimes thought to be consisting of the other older gods as well, Enki and the younger generation were defeated and driven away. But we learn here of Enki's son Marduk, who proposed that if he was made king of the gods, he would lead them all to victory. With not much left to lose, Enki entrusted the command of the Others to Marduk, who then faced Kingu in battle and defeated him. Going a step further, Marduk fired his bow at Tiamat, and managed to land an arrow of such considerable size that it split Tiamat in two. With tears that flowed from Tiamat's eyes, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers were formed, and around those, Marduk assembled the earth, using Tiamat's fallen body. Kingu, who had led the army against the gods, was executed, and it was his body that was used by Marduk to fashion human beings. Yet despite Marduk's bold moves, it is believed that this was all orchestrated by Enki, and that Marduk had consulted his father at every turn, suggesting that Enki's scheming ways shine through once more, as he uses his own son to achieve victory, and shapes the world in his own eyes, using the flesh of his mother to facilitate it. Another version of the creation myth exists in the Babylonian story of Obnabishdom, sometimes known as Astrasis. Here we learn that the Elder Gods led a life of leisure, and don't really do much in the governing or maintaining of the world. Instead, they delegate these integral roles to the younger gods, those of Enki's generation, and this sees the younger gods constantly inundated with work. So Enki asks the older gods if they can create lesser beings to assist them in the maintenance of the world. The older gods agree but they are unsure how to go about creating these lesser beings that Enki describes. So Welu, one of the gods, volunteers his own body as a sacrifice, from which these lesser beings will be made from. It is Ninersag who mixes his flesh, mind and blood into clay, and from this mixture she is able to extract seven males and seven females. What she doesn't anticipate however is how impassioned these lesser beings are towards one another, nor how fertile. Before long there are thousands of them, all doing the work that the younger gods had once been drowning in. In the beginning, it was perfect, for the humans loved the gods, and the gods no longer had to work. But as they grew in number, they began to get louder. So loud, that it began to disturb the sleep of Enlil, the king of the gods, so in order to mitigate their noise, he sends down a series of plagues in an effort to kill a bunch of them and shut them up. First there is a drought, then a famine, then disease, none of which humanity can overcome as they turn to Enki for help, for Enki was seen amongst the people, as their father god, on the account that he had come up with the idea to create them. With this, Enki also felt responsible for the people, and so he gave them instructions on how to overcome each of Enlil's plagues. But Enlil becomes frustrated when he learns that his plagues are no longer working, on the account of Enki's interference, and so he unleashes upon them Something that they cannot prepare for, nor overcome. He sends a great flood to destroy them. Just before this flood can take place, though, Enki takes it upon himself to find one of the most pious and noble men in Abnapishtim and instructs him to build an ark to outweather the flood and save his family. Abnapishtim completes the building of the ark before the flood arrives, and thanks to Enki's instructions, he and his family are able to survive. The rest of humanity however, was not so lucky, and thanks to Enlil's merciless nature, they all drowned. There is thought to be some regret on behalf of Enlil, who believes he may have gone too far, something that is echoed by the other gods, who mourn the loss of the humans but none were strong enough to oppose Enlil in the first place, and none dare to challenge him now after the fact. With this, Enlil shrugs his shoulders and doesn't pay the devastation much mind, after all, he can now get some shut-eye. But it is here that Enki tells Obnarpishtum to come out of the Ark, and it is here that Enlil becomes aware that life in the form of humanity still exists. Immediately he is enraged, and he knows that only Enki could have been behind such a thing. It was either Enki's empathy for the humans as their technical creator or his mischievous trickster ways that gave him away. Enki is able to pacify Enlil though, and speaks of how morally good Ibnarpishdom is, and that to destroy one such as him would be a great shame. He goes up Narpishtum into making a sacrifice to the gods, and the gods are so enamoured by the sweet smell of it, that they all descend to earth to consume it. Having calmed down Enlil, Enki suggests making more humans, but those that are less fertile and far more vulnerable, that which would serve as a natural mitigation for their increasing populations. This is agreed upon and Enlil does not appear to send another flood nor plague to vanquish humanity, for humans become far more fallible and temporary under their new design. What's so interesting about this story is how Enki shows love and concern for the human beings, despite not being one himself. He demonstrates an empathy not seen in Enlil, he who was a far more popular god and even goes as far as to put his own life on the line in order to help them. You'll notice that none of the other gods dare defy Enlil, yet Enki appears to work directly against him, by teaching the mortals how to survive his plagues, to later going on to outright save one. Enki is more than aware of the consequences, yet his love for humankind, that which is seen as a fatherly love given that they were his idea, outshines his fear of Enlil. Some might also say that Enki uses his wiles to get the better of Enlil, for it is with such skullduggery that Enki can get the upper hand over Enlil, perhaps one of the only ways he can get the upper hand. It is as this trickster god that Enki can get his own way, and whilst he simply cannot take what he wants, he does find ways to achieve that which he wants perhaps one of the traits of the gods, that showcases our own human tenacity. Many will draw comparisons between Enki and Prometheus of Greek mythology, who defy Zeus in an effort to bring fire to humanity and to preserve them. Like Enki, Prometheus was also nowhere near as strong as Zeus, and so resorted to using his own plots to protect the humans despite knowing the cost of being discovered was perilous. Put simply, between serving the supreme god, or the needs of the humans, Enki chooses the needs of the humans. As can be gathered, Enki was not a god who was big on conflict, and in most of his stories, he attempts to find ways to avoid it altogether, or at least, do it in a way that's the least painful he puts Apsu to sleep before he kills him in the Enuma Elish, thus sparing him of the pain and allows his son Marduk to get his hands bloody instead of bloodying his own in the later conflict against Tiamat. Some may see this as more of a cowardly trait in Enki, a god who worms his way out of confrontation or gets others to fight his battles for him. But it can be said that Enki was either unequipped for such situations, or simply just was a bit more refined, in that he'd rather outthink his opponent than physically outmatch him. Furthermore, it might be said that in all of Enki's confrontations, the greater good of mankind is usually at stake, and he is forced into making hard choices to benefit them later on. For example, he kills Apsu in order to prevent the death of his siblings, or in the Flood story, he risks his own skin to save a single man in Utnapishtim in order to secure future generations of humans. Another sign of Enki's compassion, if not leniency, is towards his daughter Inanna, who in several stories, some say he lets off the hook. In the Sumerian poem The Descent of Inanna, we learn that Enki attempts to save her from the depths of the underworld, after she had been condemned by her sister Ereshkigal. This comes about after Inanna had tried to conquer her sister's realm, and after having failed is damned for guiltiness and hubris. But despite this, Enki still plots to rescue her, despite her pretty much deserving her punishment. He sends two demons into the underworld to save her from her fate, which they are successful in doing. The fact that Enki goes as far as to conspire with demons shows us that he was not unwilling to use evil to achieve something he deemed was good, though some might say it also shows us that Enki was wrong, or at least biased towards his daughter, for he uses evil to facilitate his plan proposing that this was the wrong thing to do. But his tolerance of Inanna's ambitious and often dubious behaviour is continuously overlooked or forgiven, as we see in another story known as Inanna and the God of Wisdom, where Enki is seen to be in the possession of the Mare, that which was the ancient power which influenced and affected life itself. With the Mare, a god could determine the laws of the universe itself, and thus signified great authority. Yet despite this, he still allows Inanna to steal it from him when he gets drunk. Whilst he's later seen to send minions to stop her, he never actually makes a move to try and retrieve the Mare for himself, considering its importance. Then again, this may be quite characteristic of him, not wishing to dirty his own hands, least of all with that of his daughter's blood. Some have suggested though, that because Enki knew Inanna would end up using the Mare for a noble effort, that which was to give civilization to humanity, he allows her to keep it. In other versions of this story, Enki is seen to be more sinister, and even incestuous for he invites Inanna to drink with him so that he may seduce her. When she ends up out drinking him, and after avoiding his advances, she takes the mare as compensation. Interestingly, it isn't the only time that Enki makes a move on his daughters, for in another tale, we see him attempt to seduce his daughters on the account that they looked so much like his wife, Ninursag. In some accounts, his seduction of his daughters comes out of ignorance, for having not known what his daughters look like. In the epic, Enki and Ninersag, Ninersarg is upset to learn of her husband's promiscuity, particularly with that of his own daughters, and so she commands her children to avoid the riverbanks, lakes and anywhere where water might gather we also see her extract the seed which Enki had impregnated his daughters with, for which she buries in the ground. His seed later sprouts into trees, or plants, and in one ironic, if not morbidly amusing story, Enki is tricked by his steward into consuming the fruit of those very trees, thus consuming his own semen. With this, he becomes pregnant himself, but with no avenue to disperse his children, he becomes bloated and stricken in pain. At last though, Ninersag takes pity on her husband, and extracts the semen to give birth to the children herself. Whilst Enki has many roles within these stories, he does seem to put the needs of the greater good first even if it does not seem that way to begin with. This is most prevalent in the Flood story, where he puts the needs of humanity above his own. It's easy to see how, based on these tales, why he became so popular amongst the people of the time, for it seems he always made time for the mortals and sought to help them in their times of need, just like how a father ought to help his children. For this, he is considered a god of wisdom, civilization and even culture, amongst his obvious traits as being a water god. Whilst his worship declined in favour of his brother Enlil, in some accounts it is his son Marduk who later usurps Enlil. In this, some have suggested that whilst Enki recognised he was not powerful enough to stand against Enlil he lives vicariously through his son, who goes on to establish himself as the head of the Pantheon.